Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today, we are back to the Clone Wars, talking about Season 2, Episodes 9, 10, and 11. We're talking about General Grievous, and why does he hate the Jedi quite so much? We're talking about clones, and how do they fit when they don't fit as part of the war? We're talking about losing lightsabers, and journeying through the dark underside of the actually pretty gentle uh, criminal underbelly of Coruscant. All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, uh, your host. I'm joined, as always, uh, for the Clone Wars discussions by Riki and Sarah Hayashi. Um, Riki and Sarah, hello. How How are we doing today? Hello. As best as we can manage. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. For those who are... Um, uh, perhaps listening to this a little later than it comes out, um, we're recording this today on uh, June 7th. Um, we are still right in the middle of the um, uh, events that are taking place after the murder of George Floyd by the police and the protests and the uh, violence and, and all of that. Um, and on my other podcast, Superhero Ethics, we actually did a whole episode on how do we as fans and how do we as content creators respond to moments like this and how do the stories that we we care about so much shape shape our thoughts on this and i i talked a lot about my my feelings about star wars and um these stories and how they've really helped me understand you know the the, the importance of resistance and, and rebellion and also the importance of um you know the jedi concept of uh you know that that that, that hate, hating what you fear can turn you into what you fear and that that moments like this can show us that maybe that's not always the case and and, and just kind of how all that troubles um and so we're not going to go too deep into to all of that today. Um, but I did want us to all just, I think we all wanted to just kind of take a moment to sort of stay, say where we stand and um, I think where this podcast itself stands. And I uh, I want to hear, hear kind of for both of you, how has this moment been and, and where you are? But I know for me, um, you know, I I believe in justice and I believe in, in fighting for justice because of what I learned in part from Star Wars, one of my first moral teachers. And I'm, um, I'm very much believe in Black Lives Matter. I very much believe in you know, ending police violence. And I'm troubled by how a lot of it is being covered, but I'm, I'm somewhat hopeful about the direction things are going in terms of the cops being arrested and more and more uh, police departments really looking at systemic reform and knowing that there's obviously a, a, a long way to go. But I'm, um, I think for me as a Star Wars fan and, and just as a, as a person, I know very much where, where I stand right now with Black Lives Matter. Um, how, how, what, how are you all feeling about what, where we are today? So for me, Star Wars, well, any science fiction, you know, fantasy story is partly about escaping, you know, our yeah. reality into a different one. But it's also about allegory, about yeah. telling tales that relate back to the real world. And for for me, Star Wars, you know, as a kid was just cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Darth Vader stormtroopers the death star those were the cool things when you're a kid but as you grow up you come to understand like these things have historical parallels right like stormtroopers literally was right what they called nazi german germany's you know secret police um and there there are other parallels like in how now the empire was created in the clone mm -hmm. wars cartoon and the prequel movies of uh, using a conflict to militarize a pre previously peaceful republic, right? And, and and forcing people to come 
to accept the military as quote unquote necessary, and then you and then you know once the separatists are defeated, turning that military on its own people uh, right. to form a, a tyrannical government. And I think at this time, like we have to really analyze the parallel in our own societies and how the police has become so militaristic. Like people talk about the phrase abolish the police and then other people react like you can't do that like what about you know all the good things that the police do when i hear abolish the police i think we have to abolish the militaristic sides of the police and create a new police that is the things that we do need in our society which i mean like parking tickets and stuff right but but the parts of the police we're seeing right now going against the protests with tear gas and rubber bullets and armor and these plastic shields like why should we have that turned against our own people like those are the kinds of things and tactics that are utilized literally in war against other governments and other people who we have come to some conflict with which itself may be you know made made up in some cases by our government or their government but but to turn it turn that type of violence on your own people is is just terrifying to me and like, so you said these are tactics used in the war and like correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure that like tear gas is actually considered illegal in war measures as like chemical warfare yeah so like even going above and beyond against your own citizens yeah it's and, and you and you and i talked about this like some of it comes down to the definition of sure, yeah. what 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 is quote-unquote tear gas right and i think there is a international you know geneva convention description and definition and then that differs from some of the things that they are using which is not to say which is not to excuse it um and, and we should examine you know the same situation with how we uh define assault weapons right like it's like mm-hmm. why should why you know why should we have these things if they're dangerous yeah there's like I, a difference between the, the layman's perspective and the specialist's perspective i saw a great meme that said uh kind of riffing on the old champagne joke this isn't tear gas this is uh sparkling oh sparkling oh to tear or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah um but but i think those are really good points and actually and as you said that i realized i I, first of all i love that concept of escapism and allegory and how do you balance those two because i think that's kind of exactly what we were getting on on that episode of superhero ethics we never quite said it quite that succinctly um and as you said it, I realized just how much actually Clone Wars, I think, is a very good allegory for what we're talking about right now, because one of the stories of this entire TV show, and I think of the prequels somewhat, but I think the, the TV show does a much better job of fleshing it out, is how an organization that was meant to, you know, defend peace and justice in the galaxy, the, the Jedi, were corrupted by becoming military leaders and becoming militarized and be, you know, the Republic becoming militarized. Um, you know, and not that I think that, uh, you know, George Lucas and, and, and Dave Filoni are the, the most, you know, prevalent commentators on the, on the current moment. But I think that looking to the art that we have as allegory and how it applies, um, I think that particular idea of, you know, is very applicable today of how the, you know, the cycle of militarization and the cycle of distrust and the cycles of violence can really lead to the kind of situation we have now uh, where in, in many parts of the country and in many neighborhoods, Police are seen not as, you know, helpers, not as people to protect you, but as an invading army. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that I think that's a really good point and, and a really a powerful way that Star Wars kind of speaks to this moment. So, well, thank, thank you guys all. Um, you know, as I said, we're going to get back to uh, these shows because um, 
I, I kind of not want to make yeah, let's escape. <laughs> yeah, well, as I was gonna say, I kind of want to make escapism an allegory, the, the the subtitle of all of this, because I think that's what we're always gonna try and give you on the show. Is I think these shows are great escapism. I know I've been watching a lot of things recently. Um, at uh, your guys' suggestion, as well as a couple other friends, I recently started watching uh, Star Wars Rebels, and I'm sure uh, some part of us uh, will will eventually talk about that uh, on this on this podcast because it's also a really interesting show, and I'm. Enjoying the allegory, but also loving the escapism. So let's uh, let's journey back into that kind of escapism for a while, with with also probably finding an allegory or two along the way. Um, so, and we we kind of today have uh, three, a little bit connected in in chronology, but but pretty independent stories. We're going to talk about them each individually. Um, so, episode nine, episode thirty one overall, is grievous intrigue in one of the um, very much dad puns that they seem to love with uh, naming these episodes. Oh my gosh. Jedi Master Eeth Koth is captured by General Grievous. I bet you never thought he was going to show up in this episode. <laughs> While Jedi Master Adai Gala and Anakin try to rescue him. Obi-Wan plays bait to lure Grievous and capture him. Um, so we actually, like, when we went back to watch these, we skipped uh-huh. this one because I read the description. And I was like, oh, we, we watched this already. Yeah. Uh, in our, <laughs> in our second Jedi. watch through. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Grievous captures the Jedi and tortures him. Okay. But it turns out it was a different episode that I was remembering where Grievous captures the Jedi and, and tortures them. Yeah, I, I I remember reading an interview with a couple of sitcom writers from the 80s and 90s. And I can't remember who they were, but one of the points they made is they said one of the things that's helpful to do is to figure out in your situation, like, what's a good joke that keeps working? And then every now and then when you need a filler episode, you can go back to the, you know, um, Bart does something that that gets Homer upset and, you know, like the or, or whatever it is, you know, um, and that's kind of how I feel about this Jedi and Grievous thing. Um, th- there were very few things I thought about this episode really worth diving into. I One of the first things I'll say is in the beginning, the narrator says, you know, despite the fact that the Republic has been winning a majority of the battles. And I was just so glad they finally acknowledged that because it has seemed to me up till now that. 90% of the, of the episodes we see are about the Republic winning, but the narrator keeps saying, and the Separatists keep advancing, the Separatists keep winning. And so I, I, was, I was glad they kind of resolved that just a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I mean, it, there are shows that do, like, the protagonist losing well, but I don't think that Clone Wars is necessarily that, at least not right now. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I wouldn't want to see a bunch of episodes of, like, Rex and the gang getting beat down over and over again. Um, but yeah, keeping that, that, that acknowledgement that like the rebels are winning some, but also the separatists are still a threat, keeping the, the conflict present. Mm-hmm. Well, what we really need is a map. Mm. A, a <laughs> yeah. galactic map of like, here are the lines and how they keep changing. And, you know, the second battle of Geonosis. Like, where where is it located in that we've had multiple battles yeah. there? Like, yeah. this back and forth struggle. The, the only concept I have is there's a, um, a board game called Star Wars Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Very good game. It actually feels a lot like you're, you're playing out the movie in ways I appreciate. And it has a galactic map of where all these things go. But the map is designed for playability. And mm-hmm. I think I, I have... N- Apparently, you know, Lucas put a stamp on it. So it might have some sort of correlation to reality. But I think more than anything, I don't think they had a map while they were writing the show. You know, I think it's... The, the war is happening at the speed of plot. Um, and yeah. when they need the separatists to be winning, the separatists are winning. And there's no sort of overall sense of, you know. But so there's also like they, they mention that a lot of the conflict takes place in the outer rim. 
which like if you just kind of think about it it means you know if the if this galaxy is like our galaxy like the milky way there are arms to it you know like spiral arms and the outer rim you would think of as kind of like out there and then the, the quote-unquote core worlds are in the center of the galaxy yeah. or closer to it and i think it, it's also different when you talk about just like battle lines because if the universe is obviously three space not just two space like right the globe um not to, like right the two dimensions the, the earth is round you know what i mean um but the universe, like, right, so there's there's not going to be a line. So if you had a blockade of, like, three ships on one side of a planet, that's not going to be very effective. Um, uh-huh. so, which is a thing that's always sort of bugged me about space and sci-fi movies, is that, like, we kind of just gloss over the three space effect yeah. to wrap our heads around it. So they're, they're, they're more like ships meeting each other in the water than they would be, like, actually in space yeah um, if, if i were a starship captain i would just like tilt my ship at, at an angle just to troll people <laughs> or like yeah why are there why are ships always coming together like nose to nose right side up for each other like why is right. some guy coming in at a 45 degree angle from the bottom it's yeah um, and, and i will say I, I will not often praise this movie but the one space battle that i've seen where they do that and the battle really happens in 3d space is the opening battle of uh revenge of the sith Hmm. I do not remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I, I watched it. I watched it recently because I finished Clone Wars, the the last season, uh, which we also reviewed, and then wanted to see it again. But oh um, gosh, yeah. I kind of want to see it again too. We also watched the last season of Clone Wars recently. Yep. Like, it's a bad movie, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, but this last season just makes you want to see it. Um, it does. It, it makes some things pay off more. Um, but but, but, but I, sticking... I agree. Like that space battle is is pretty good. I think from yeah. that perspective. And I also think the concept of th- that battle itself, because th- it takes place over Coruscant, the capital of the Republic, and, mm-hmm. and that's another thing about war at the at, at hyperspeed, is like you're not really subject that much to supply lines and, and being cut right. off. Like mm-hmm. if you can move at hyperspeed, you can just strike at the heart of the Republic with the fleet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Think... Good. Okay, yeah, because normally in warfare, you know, you have to get to this point so that then you can go 20 meters, 20 miles further, and then 20 miles further, and then 20 miles further. And it, it, in hyperspace, that doesn't matter. You know, you can be, you know, on this planet, and then hyperspace jump to somewhere completely different. Yeah, exactly. Sort of. And then sometimes they say maybe you can't, and it's not really made clear. Yeah, yeah, where there's, like, which routes work and which ones don't. I think, like, keeping the physics of light speed travel kind of... Uh, vague is 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 good because otherwise like if you flesh it out then you just bring up the opportunity to punch a bunch of holes in it but Mm -hmm. yeah like having all these discrete planets um the idea of like battle lines and battle fronts like you can really put the battle wherever you want it to be because instead of having like you said to go through point a to get to point b you can just like dip underneath point a and get straight to point b for real. The one other thing from this episode that I thought was interesting to discuss is, and, and I know you guys have told me some stuff about Grievous already that I didn't realize. Why does he hate the Jedi so much? Uh-huh. Like, in this episode, a couple of times, he says he doesn't care for Dooku's politics. He doesn't care about the Republic. He's fighting this war to kill Jedi um, and to wipe them out. Do, do we know why? I, I know why. Jedi's cool kid. Is is it revealed later in the show? And I'm just no, that. no, it's uh, it's probably in like a comic book or something. So it's <laughs> okay. actually it's actually no longer canon. 
it, it's okay. in Legends because it was in comic books. But his his planet where he's from, and, and I'm not going to dig up all these names, but his planet where he's from, there was like a civil war, and the Republic came in on the side of his opposition, uh, including some Jedi. Got so, it. So okay. that's why, like they they came to his planet and and messed okay. up the local politics, and so now he now he hates Jedi because of that. Well, um, and actually, Dooku. Um, intentionally sabotaged uh, Grievous's shuttle whatever his name was before he was Grievous his shuttle blew him up and like that's why he became this this droid cyborg so Dooku actually set him what? up to be destroyed obviously Grievous doesn't know this otherwise he'd hate him right yeah and I feel like why did we get that story like that sounds so interesting you and gotta, gotta, yeah, gotta, oh. gotta sell the other things I'm a big believer that if you don't, like, tell it in the story, it doesn't really count to some Mm. extent. I mean, like, it does, but, like, it's definitely a flaw that, like, here we have this character in the show who just hates the Jedi, and we have no understandable reason for it. Yeah, just, like, a quick mention of it. Um, But, Ricky, you you said it wasn't canon anymore because of Legends. Do you want to, like, is is that because, so that's because the most recent movies have sort of undone a lot of the comics? Right, so after the original three movies came out, there was what was at the time called the Extended Universe, mm-hmm. which was books, comic books, video games. Uh, and when Disney b- bought the Star Wars property, they wanted to write their own stories and create their own history. So they separated that and called that the Legends. Okay. A- and now everything that's happened since, so the basically like anything in the nine or I guess 11 movies... And any new books and material that have come out since Disney bought it is right. uh, is canon, and, and is then, part of kind of a different okay. universe. But the extended universe is still there as sort of like the mythos of. The yeah, Star Wars I mean it's right. like in comics, right? Like, um, and, and like DC has had like Earth One and Earth Two, mm-hmm. and, right. and over time they've blended all of those together. And, and there's definitely elements of the extended universe that they have brought into the um the the official canon of tv shows and movies Absolutely. even though they're officially not canon like the character of general thrawn or admiral yep. thrawn yep. who was created by like one of the first of the eu books by T- timothy zahn which are now all considered on canon but but that character is canon you know and like um as i've mentioned a couple times and this was before the big split but there's a number of plot lines in this tv show that do seem very deeply influenced by some of the novels about the the clones and things like that. Um, yeah. So so like to say that Grievous's origin is no longer canon, it's just not officially acknowledged in canon, as you said, yeah. Matthew. Like no, nowhere in the Clone Wars TV series do they mention this fact. So it could still like we can acknowledge it as part of his backstory, but it's right. not, just not been officially done so. The the best explanation I heard is that what Star Wars has done is to say. We're not. If something happened in, the, in a story and we haven't contradicted it yet, then you can believe it's still true. But that we kind of now reserve the right to, in a few, like that if they made a future movie or TV show that for some reason went into this history, that they could tell a completely different story about General Grievous, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be breaking canon because that's no longer canon. So that and so that's the kind of thing is like, if if there's a new version of it now, the new version trumps the old, but you don't have you know if the old can still have some meaning for you. Cool. Yeah. Um, like and, and we'll yeah. like in the next in the next episode of this podcast after this one we're going to get into mandalorians 
And of oh course, yeah, you you have been watching the TV show Mandalorian. I have and been, yeah. The the history of that planet and race is now very confusing because <laughs> of the split it, in legends and canon. It, it it definitely is, and I would say even and and for those who have heard my most recent podcasts about the TV show Mandalorian and the TV show the last season of Clone Wars, both of those seem to refer to the same event without seeming to connect. And I'm 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 curious in future seasons how if that if that if the inconsistencies get uh get resolved in some way um but but bring it back to this so do we have anything more to say to um about grievous intrigue or can we move on to what i, <laughs> we what did, I think is we, one of the we talk about, about it, it. <laughs> what would you say i mean so did we say anything about it it's i mean like not really <laughs> it's a pretty blah episode like what you were saying earlier about if you have a uh, a trope that works just do it like it seems very tropic i don't know i like like it's an action-adventure episode. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of lightsaber dueling. There's a lot of droids shooting at clone troopers on the ships. There's some children in a war room for an explosion. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So the Jedi Council gets a call from General Grievous. <laughs> Gather around, kids. And oh, God, he's, yeah. he's torturing uh, Master Koth on screen or in the hologram. And they all watch this, and then they like have a discussion, and they said, "Get get the younglings out of here." <laughs> what were the younglings doing in this room in the first place? We're getting a call from our enemy. Like, gather around, younglings. Yeah. Also, like that does not seem like it seems like the horse has already left the stable, and then you lock the door. But getting the younglings <laughs> yeah. out after that point, like it's I, yeah. Yeah. It, it it definitely has an aura to me of like, okay, you kids, you're living in the building of the Order of the Phoenix, but you can't listen into our meetings. You know, which doesn't <laughs> yeah. seem to make any sense. Um, yeah, um, yeah, Harry Potter reference. Um, he's never seen or watched, read. Oh, okay. Well, given, given what we're learning about the author, I think that is a, an yeah. under, becoming a more and more understandable position. Um, well, so let's go from that to uh, the deserter. Um, yeah. and I'm really curious what you all thought of this episode. Um, uh, this is uh, after escaping to the planet uh, Salukamai, Grievous searches for a ship to get off world. And here I said, like, this is it, it's chronologically similar, but a very different story. Obi-Wan, Commander Cody, and Rex try to search for Grievous before he escapes the planet. Rex is wounded by a commander droid sniper while scouting ahead and meets a deserter at a farm where he takes shelter. Um, and here I think this is a very bad episode description, so I want to just say a little bit more about it. Um, because the, the key kind of, I think, parts of the episode here is we meet a soldier who, you know, he, he, he – you could call him deserted or you could say, like, he, basically he got cut off, his unit was destroyed, and he, he failed to try and go back. He kind of just sort of went off on his own. Met a, I think, what Twi'lek woman, you know, seems to have, and has basically just been building a life and a family for himself. And him and Rex have some pretty intense conversations where Rex is saying, like, you're a, you're a, you're a clone. Your, your duty is to the Republic. You swore this oath. You, you have no choice. You have to come back. And, and uh, the other person, whose name is Cut, is saying, um, you know, no, that, that we never got to choose, and I'm now choosing not to, and, and the Republic doesn't get to, you know, I, I get to be more than just the life that I was made for, that I get to choose my own life. Um, and at the end, um, Rex makes a point to not turn him in in any way, and, and he kind of says, like, you know, Rex still has to go back and, and be who he is, but he seems to have come to some understanding of, of why Cut is what he, who he is, and, and to not in any way try to, like, pull him back in. Um, what, what, what's your take on this episode? Yeah, like, I understand why that's not in the description of the episode, because I think the reveal that the the farmer is a clone. Yeah, it'd be, like it'd a, be too much spoilers. Yeah, but um, I really I really like these kind of clone-forward episodes. 
And I really like this episode as like a fun genre mishmash. Mm. Um, because like you also get some horror movie elements in there briefly. Um, I yeah. like how we get to see Grievous's treatment of the the droid army and just uh, really sort of further exploring his character and his utter disregard for the droids. Like, yeah. they're just as much clankers to him as, as to the Republic. That's a great um, point, yeah. And then this idea of, like, free will. And do the clones have free will? Do they get free will? Are they just the property of the Kaminoans? Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, Rex... Like one of the lines you mentioned, Rex says, "You swore an oath to the Republic. Do the clones swear an oath, or are they just programmed with loyalty to the Republic?" Right. So the way I understand it in the books is that they do actually swear an oath, but they're never given any choice not to, and they're also programmed to. Yeah. So it, it it really raises this issue of like, can you possibly call that like a consensual oath versus one given under extreme duress? Yeah, I also. I have a question. So, Cut uh, and Sue, his Twi'lek wife, have kids. And, like, how does that work? Because, like, are, like, typically, clones can't have kids. And also, why would you make it so that the clones could? That's just, like, a weird side thing. Side head scratch. I, this, I... this may also be the only instance in Star Wars of a cross-racial couple or cross-racial children. Like, it's much more common in Star Trek, right? Like, half Klingon, half human, etc. I I can't really think of any other example where someone is, like, half something, half something else. I don't think there is. And and honestly, because of that, I I thought they were basically his stepchildren was the way I took it. Um, And and I... Do they? I mean, I thought they looked very much like Twi'leks. No, um, so that's why when we first watched this episode, way back, way back when, when we did our first watch through, I remember because when they come on screen, like they have the Twi'lek hair horn thing, but they have the faces of clones, and I was like, yeah. the farmer's a clone, right? The, the so the son, I think, is much less Twi'lek. Yeah, he's more humanoid. Yeah, yeah. Like his his head growth is like less pronounced. Jack, I think is his name. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think you're right, and also the chronology of it, frankly, makes no sense, because if the Clone Wars only lasted three years, oh, and yeah, we're somewhere, you know... <laughs> wait like, a minute. Well, like, the clones have accelerated growth, so I would... But the, kid, yeah, like, the kids... Like, do the kids have accelerated growth? Also, how are the kids even viable? I don't know. Yeah, yeah the biology but, and the math yeah. don't really line up. To me, though, putting that aside, I would say this is still... If not my favorite episode of these couple first couple seasons, certainly in my top five, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's the one that I think I remember most being excited for first first to really get to and, and dive into because I just, you know, to me this is really getting at, as you were saying, Sarah, it, it's really getting at the heart of the questions that make that are at the heart of the clones. You know, like why do they have to keep fighting? And I, I love that we see Rex really starting to have to start questioning now and having to start wrestle with this, like. You know, he has been taught to think one way all of his life. He's been literally programmed to think this way. And his evolution in this episode, going from just, you're a deserter, you must be wrong, this doesn't fit with any understanding I have, but then being able to really listen to him and hear him out and be able to say, like, I, I can't do what you did, but I can respect it. I, I, I just love that character growth, and I love this exploration of the questions, because it, it, it gets into some deep questions about, like, 
is there anything at all ethical about the clones being basically bred to fight a war that they never could have any choice in? No. Well, <laughs> yeah. Rex, I mean, Rex himself, by the end of the episode, is breaking his oath, right, by not reporting cuts. Well, he might just yeah. he might just forget it. You know, he's not quite no deal. <laughs> yeah, he's that's ex- yeah. That's that's a that's a very human response. But yeah. but like, if if he actually believes in in this oath and serving a republic, like he has to follow protocol, and he doesn't. Yeah, yeah but I think he sees so especially. Okay, so Grievous crash lands there. There's also um, a, a droid uh, freighter? I don't know what it is. Um, a ship containing a bunch of battle droids also crash lands on the farm. And the kids find it and push a button and activate all the droids. Uh, and then they run back into the house. And this is where the zombie horror movie aspect comes in. Oh, yeah. Where coming through the window. Coming through the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a field at night. And there's these like creepy slow moving guys walking around. So Cut sends Rex with his wife and kids upstairs, and he's like, "I need you to be the last line of defense." Um, and Rex wants to go and fight with him, but Cut I think rightly points out one of your arms doesn't work right now. Just go hang out. And then I think Rex watching Cut so fiercely defend his family and still like fight against uh, these battle droids, he sees that he's not a coward. He just has right. like, different loyalties. And I think that helps Rex um, reconcile this, this not turning him over. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And it's interesting to hear about the, the, what you said about the mixing of the tropes. Because I I think this is sometimes in horror movies, but also in other movies. But, like, one definite trope is, like, the younger kind of idealistic, you know, arm soldier who's like, Oh, yeah, we got to do it. Rah, rah for the troops. Let's go fight this battle. And the kind of grizzled old veteran who's either laughed or just as deeply cynical about it having to work together in the fight, which is another sort of trope I thought they were playing on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's right, that Rex has to see that... Because again, his programming is, and I don't... Sort of I mean that technically, but mostly just the way he's been taught is you fight for the Republic or you're a coward. And so getting to see someone say, like, no, I'm not a coward. I fight for what I protect. I just don't think the Republic is... And, and the clones is, is something worth fighting for. Um, is, is such an interesting twist on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, he seems to think of deserters like, literally, you ran away from battle. Where, I mean, he kind of did in a way, but the rest of his troop was killed. Uh, and he just didn't go back to the Republic. Like, they've been abandoned on this planet. His, the rest of his company was killed by droids. And so right. he just, like, decided to not go back instead of, like, actually deserting. Which I think also helps uh, Rex be more accepting of cut right i i also think it's interesting and um a kind of interesting parallel here um you know as we've talked about before one of the overarching themes of of all of star wars but especially the clone wars is the idea that the jedi are not supposed to have attachments and that those attachments can you know pull you away from your mission and that to some extent that happens with anakin although in part that's because the whole idea of no attachment is kind of stupid (laughs) um And I like that we're kind of seeing that with Rex as well here, because to some extent, I think the clones are not supposed, the clones are supposed to be just, you know, their only attachment is supposed to be to each other. They're not supposed to have like the wife and kids at home to go fight and protect. Um, And so I think it's subtle, but I I think part of what we're also supposed to be seeing here is Rex kind of having a like, oh, this is the life that I could have that I'm probably never going to have because of this, because of where I am and who I am. Instead, he gets a different life. Yeah. We'll get to that someday. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I did a couple other things. I, I like that you commented on Grievous. Um, he, it's almost just like comedically bad at this point, where he's you know like he pushes them till their batteries are draining, and that like th- there's one thing about like push humans till their reserves are exhausted, and it's a really stupid thing to do, but you can sort of claim like their willpower can keep pushing them forward. Like, how do you blame someone for their battery being dead? <laughs> yeah. Like... It's so... And just watching them slowly shut down while, like, attempting to give directions to well, The one like... that complains, he literally just cuts in half with his lightsaber. Yeah. Right. And, and I know, like, we're used to this, you know, the Empire, Darth Vader killing Admiral Ozzel, um, and, and there's other examples of this, but most of those examples were... I would say punishing incompetence, right? Right. And, and so uh, there is at least this idea that you are maybe improving your military by getting rid of the incompetent leaders. Uh, but here, Grievous just seems abusive. Yeah. And yeah. like kind of like pointlessly so. He's he's angry, right? He's just pissed off, and he's gonna cut short in half because he doesn't see them as. In any way, shape, or form. Not not even his equals, but, like, his army, really. It's just, they're just tools for him to use to get back at the Jedi. And -hmm. this tool isn't working right, so he's going to smash it. Like, when your TV's broken, and you want to kick it. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's very true. Um, Two of the last things I want to comment on. um, One was um, uh, Rex B. I think we've kind of gone into this before, but I did think it's interesting that uh, Rex says that part of why he has to fight is because he doesn't want... Uh, you know, people and including uh, Cut's children to quote live under evil if the separatists win. Yeah. Um, why? That's like, just propaganda. The, yeah. the separate, yeah, the separatists want to go off and do their own thing. We have no evidence. Like as awful as they're going to be in their own world, we have no evidence that they want to conquer the republic by any means. Mostly, yeah. I feel like if you li- live under the separatists, you're just probably going to get taxed a lot more because they, yeah. they seem to be about money and greed. For the right. most part. I mean, but they have droid soldiers. They don't even need to, like, impress you yeah. into the fighting. Um, yeah. But there, but there's no, at least in the TV show and the movies, there's no real clear concept of what the Separatist government is and how it acts yeah. towards its own people. So the, the only thing we can say that they're evil is, like, we as outside observers know that they are controlled by... Dooku, a Sith, and they, right. and he has evil intentions. But then, you know, same with Palpatine, right? So, yeah, uh, it's yeah. I think it's mostly just we know Dooku is quote unquote evil, so yeah. they're mm-hmm. evil. Well, <laughs> the Separatist Alliance is quite literally a plot device, right? Like uh, Sidious made them up essentially so that he could put himself in power, right? So, like the fact that this the <laughs> The separatists don't really have a clear agenda kind of like makes sense in universe because they're just this sort of ad hoc like uh we want to fight i guess right um, I, I i mean the way i've always understood it and i think here's some of the novels including some i think some of the ones that are written more recently but they may all be eu they do a better job explaining this and at least they, they kind of touch on this somewhat uh with characters like clovis uh in the show but is the idea like that there are some very legitimate grievances that people in the separatist worlds had about the Republic and about the corruption and things like that. Yeah. But that, yeah, it, that, that you have someone who basically like takes all of that anger and, and upsetness and manipulates it into doing like horrible, terrible things that are not really connected to it. Um, 
and I feel like we get much more of the what they get manipulated into and nowhere near enough of the legitimate real protest. Yeah, when in the next season with the Mandalorians, we see why people might be intrigued by the, the separatists and their agenda. Right. But, yeah. Well, and it's why I will continue harping that I, I think the entire arc of the story, both the second and third movie, but also the show, would have been so much better if Dooku never realized he was being manipulated by Sidious. Like, Dooku hadn't turned... And maybe, like, by season six, he turns all the way to the dark side. But what if, like, this entire time... Dooku honestly believes he is doing what's right for his people and other worlds. And he's talking a lot with this guy, you know, who's sort of whispering in his ear somewhat. And only by, like, season six does he fully turn to the dark side, you know, and realize what's been happening. Like, Yeah, that's interesting. I always think, okay, so this is a little bit of a tangent, but in my opinion, the most evil Disney villain of all time is Judge Claude Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, because he thinks he's doing the right thing the whole time. Um, yeah. Despite being incredibly, incredibly evil. Um, like, for, I'm not sure if you're, like, familiar with Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, but I, I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> Alright, it's based on the Victor Hugo novel, but it's a kidification of it. But essentially, Claude Frollo works for the church. Um, he's trying to, like, rid the city of evil. He takes Quasimodo... The, uh, the hunchback into his care and he's like I'm protecting you and I'm loving you but he locks me in the bell tower anyway he's uh, trying to rid the city of like Roma people because they're like all evil and bad uh, and they're just like living their lives and Esmeralda is one of them and he's like if you marry me then everyone's fine but like otherwise you have what? to burn horribly yeah it's a show we should watch it Disney Plus man <laughs> um, anyway he honestly believes he's doing like the right godly thing the whole time but he ends up like burning Paris down trying to hunt for Esmeralda um, he locks Cosimodo up in this bell tower in Notre Dame thinking that he's protecting him but really he's just like hiding him away from the world yeah but he's still he's like thinks that he's like a good godly man doing the right thing um yeah and it's just not which is <laughs> terrifying when well, ricky you and i just did that whole episode on superhero ethics about villains um and i i, I i'm curious if you agree with this but yeah i think this is a great example of this of where one of the points that you i think you made so well is that the, the best villains are those ones that as sarah's saying that we agree with and that dooku Dooku to me would be so much more powerful if he was that. If he was a villain who really thought he was the hero, um, and we just lose that entirely in this. Yeah, well, I think a lot of Star Wars, the prequels, when I watch them, um, I think one of the reasons they upset me so much is that I think it could have been a really, really interesting story if you had the dark side believing they were doing the right thing, like they were opposing the Jedi because the Jedi were too powerful. Right. Um, and like they believe this is honestly in the best interest of the people, and that's why they're doing this. Instead, it's like secretly this plot of this old dude who's been like working his way through this for thirty some years, um, which just feels a little flat. And I think it's mm -hmm. more it's more interesting. Sorry, the cat's eating food right behind us. That's what that crunching noise is. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, I think it's more interesting when internally they think they're doing the right thing. And yeah. we get this like broader perspective. We, we get that with Anakin. Yeah, but like we get that a, a lot more with Anakin in this TV series yes. as opposed to the I just want to save my my dying supposedly dying wife. Right. 
But, and even if it wasn't Dooku, I, I think it's why characters like Clovis, and, and we do meet some more as the show goes on, become some of my most, the ones I find most interesting is because I, I do think we meet clone, uh, sorry, separatist leaders who don't realize that they're being run by the Sith and who do believe in the cause beyond just, haha, we're going to make a buck and rub our hands like greedy, you know, uh, either Asian or Jewish stereotypes of, <laughs> of rich capitalists. Um, but I wish we got a lot more of those. Um, yeah, it's so. not all just, like, techno union or the banking clan. It's, like, yeah. legit just annoying people. Yeah. yeah. And we do get more of that as the show goes on. I'm glad we get that here. Um, the last thing I'll see in this episode is, um, and I was going to talk about the TV show uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, but I know you guys haven't seen that, so I won't say anything spoilery there. But I'm curious what you think of the quote that starts this episode. <laughs> it's the quest for honor that makes someone honorable. Yeah, I when that flashed on screen... Uh, I like laughed and I said, it's, "It's like the road to hell is paved with good intentions, except like the opposite, um, <laughs> right? Like it, it seems like the opposite idiom. I don't think it's the quest for honor that makes someone honorable. It's like doing honorable things that makes someone honorable, right? What does that know. even mean? The so, quest for the honor. Quest for honor. It seems like if you try, then you're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I, I think it, it. What it gets to me is it's that same idea of like. Do you care about doing good things or do you care about looking good? Mm-hmm. And I feel like having honor is a nice byproduct of doing good things and like being an honorable person. But if you go out and try to be like, I am going to try and do the honorable thing, your motivations are completely whacked, you know, <laughs> and like you're almost never going to. Um, and I uh, th- there's a lot of great TV shows and movies, I think, that have done an interesting job of showing like how lost a person can get when they it's kind of an example of that, how you can become the villain, you know, because you're. You're trying to fight to have honor without actually having really thought about what does that mean. Yeah, no, totally. I think you're, you're spot on, right? Like, Han Solo, again. But also, like, um, in Peter Pan, Captain Hook is, like, in the book, extraordinarily concerned with honor and good form. Uh, oh, yeah. Doing the honorable thing and the correct thing. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. That's a it's, great pull. I hadn't realized that. Bringing in all the... Yeah, <laughs> In the movie, he's more just, like, afraid of a crocodile and running around. But in the book, he's, yeah, he's right. constantly talking about good form and having good form. Nice. Yeah. Um, what even is his motivation? Uh, Captain Hook? Yeah. I'm Why? pretty sure it, he does it like actually... a treasure? No, sort of. So in the book, it's, it's interesting. Neverland is sort of this, like, circular, the pirates chase the native tribes, the native tribes chase the lost boys, the lost boys chase the pirates. And they just sort of go on like that forever. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I, I will say on that note, though, um, at least in the Disney version, Captain Hook does quite literally twirl his mustache. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so I don't know if that's where we actually get the expression from, but I think part of that may answer your question as well. Ooh, that's um, um, so let's move on to the last episode. Um, lightsaber lost. Uh, when Ahsoka's lightsaber is stolen by a pickpocket, she gets help from the seemingly feeble elder elder Jedi Terra Sinube as she tracks down the thief. Um, what, what's your uh, take on this, Sarah? I think you kind of started to indicate that. <laughs> Did I like show my hand there? Yeah, it, it's so uh, bad. This is great. So, I love it so much. <laughs> no, I I thoroughly dislike Master Sinube. Um because he just like I get the point that they're trying to make, which is like Ahsoka's too hot headed. 
uh, and needs to like slow down and take a look at things. But Sunube just has this like condescending. I I'm old and therefore know so much more than you. Right. Uh, like smug smirk the whole time. Um. So, yeah, someone <laughs> pickpockets Ahsoka's lightsaber. Which first of all, what? Um, <laughs> so bad. Such right? a bad like, She doesn't want to tell Anakin that this is what's happened because he'd be very upset. So she goes to the library and talks to um, Mistress Jacosta and she puts him in touch with, she puts Ahsoka in touch with Sanube, who's all like, oh my, well I haven't been on a mission in 80 years. Let's go. Um, and uh, they, they, they go and find a gangster who's been killed and then his, his like sobbing girlfriend and Sanube is like sitting there and is like, oh, but you don't like he's just he's just a smug condescending dick. He's Columbo. He, yeah, yes. I've never seen Columbo, but this That's is so what well put. He keeps insinuating. Mm. And ah, there's one point where so constantly Ahsoka's like, come on, you have to hurry up and he's like, No, it is you who must slow down. And there's one point where he's driving a car on the space highway and just going extraordinarily slow, and other like speeders are zipping around him and honking. And Soka's like, you have to hurry. And he's like, mm, patience. And it's like, mm, no, like, for our safety in the traffic lane, you have to match the speed of traffic, old man. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, like, nobody, okay. So going back to the, 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 the killed uh, mobster and his girlfriend, nobody asks, like, the girlfriend, why did you kill your mobster boyfriend? So she, she poisons him, and she's trying to play it off, like, a group of, uh, assassins or like came in from and killed him and Sunube realizes that that's not what's up but doesn't ask like hmm what motivated you to kill this guy this mobster was he like really abusive to you and that's why you're trying to kill him so you can escape he's just like I know you did it yeah wait it's not to steal the lightsaber oh frig maybe there we go I missed that I, I didn't think so I thought I've... the the lightsaber was tangential to that oh I don't know yeah, I I, like I, everything was about the lightsaber. It, it definitely felt to me like the point of this episode was we want to have and we want to have Ahsoka go off with a different Jedi um, to to give her these you know wise life lessons and to highlight that uh, Anakin is a terrible mentor, which I'll get to more about that in a second. And then they were like, okay, so let's make up a MacGuffin of a plot mm-hmm. to drive that story along, and they keep they spent precisely 30 seconds plotting out the logic of that storyline and then went okay cool we're done let's go um and i i think i liked parts of this episode more than you did i did find him condescending but also kind of charming um and i I like him charming too i do not like him i mean he's a male figure being incredibly uh, condescending (laughs) towards a woman and i think it's entirely possible that i'm missing part of that and that that's my own blind spot there um so I, i appreciate you you kind of pushing on that um I think I also liked, though, the um, – we were, to me, what more than anything, what this highlights is just – as I was kind of joking about, just how bad of a mentor uh, Anakin is because it seems like so much of what he's saying is like, wait, how have you, why have you not been trained to do this? Why have you not been trained to do that? Um, and, and part of me is really frustrated that he keeps taking it out on her instead of saying like, oh, you poor youngling. You've been so badly taught. Let's get Anakin off of training you. Um, that seems like, um, because especially from the very beginning, the fact that she, um, 
when she loses her lightsaber, her first response is to lie to Anakin about it. You know, we've seen a couple of other examples of uh, uh, Padawans with their mentors. Could you ever imagine any of those other Padawans lying to their mentors about it like this? Yeah, definitely not. Um, ugh, this is spoilery Padawan mentor stuff that I don't <laughs> want to get into. No, but, yeah, fair. Um, uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a much more friendly relationship that Ahsoka and Anakin seem to have. Like, they seem to be just, like, buddies, and she's totally okay with melting off to him, which I kind of like. And, I mean, like, right, he calls her Snips, because she's snippy, I guess. Um, but, but yeah. I And it, it also seems, like, weirdly out of character for Ahsoka to not tell Anakin that this happened. Right. Like, it seems, it seems things, out but, of like, order for the... Well, for the Jedi Order to not have protocols on lost lightsabers. Like, right. in my workplace, we have um, scan badges to get into the building. And if you lose your scan badge, you have to report it immediately because then someone, you know, they have to turn that barcode off yeah, so that someone doesn't get in the building. And I feel like the Jedi Order would be like, if you lose your lightsaber, report it immediately because it's a dangerous freaking weapon. Yeah, right. and at one point in the episode, um, Master Sanube is like, "Ah, oh, I sense how worried you are because like you think any murder that happens with this weapon is going to be on you." <laughs> You're like, right. Yeah, and he's like, "I'll let you mull that over," and then just like walks off, and it's just like, "What?" But also like the fact that she goes and tells Jocasta, and she doesn't like Jocasta's just like, "Oh well, what a pickle you've gotten yourself into." Like there, there totally should be some sort of protocol for dealing with. A pickpocket has stolen my lightsaber. Yeah. Perhaps maybe locking your lightsaber more closely onto your belt, perhaps? Or like... the fact that, yeah, the fact it wasn't even like they tricked her. It was just somebody brushed well, by her in a crowd and grabbed yeah. it off of her, which it, makes no sense. Not, and also, like, we, she watches him getting away. We've seen her chase people across, like, entire planets before. Or just, like, no, no, use that's... the force to get your lightsaber back. That like, fish seen... guy just disappears in the crowd. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. It's so, it's so plot devicey, which I think is one of the reasons why I hate it. And there's condescending old man, which, like, I might be reading too much into it, but, yeah. Don't like that, dude. And just, like, he just seems like a worse Yoda mm-hmm. in so many ways. Oh, now I'm imagining this episode with Yoda. This episode with Yoda, I think I would like it. Because I don't think Yoda would be as much of a, like, jerk. Yeah. I I think he'd be more gentle and more understanding. Yeah, and, like, still teaching the lesson of, like, like, she's, Ahsoka's gonna figure it out on her own. And, like, Yoda would guide her to that point. But not, not be as much of a jerk about it. Not be as condescending about it. Mm, fill out the paperwork you must <laughs> it's like 30 minutes of that I mean what would probably happen honestly is he'd be just as condescending but he'd be much cuter about it so he wouldn't mind as much um, yeah I, I didn't have charming kind of condescending I don't even know yeah I yeah I, I don't really have much else to say about the episode it's it, and it's also I think frustrating because again like the criminal underworld of Coruscant and how disconnected the Jedi are from all of that that sounds like such a fascinating idea to explore. Um, and like, there's one moment that I actually really liked, which is when they go down there, it's very clear. Ahsoka is just 
you know, it's like taking a, a, a rich, privileged white kid to a, a poor people of color neighborhood for the first time. You know, like she she actually she just has no understanding of what's happening here. Um, and there's a moment in particular where they walk by a sick man who's like on a bench, clearly being very sick. And Ahsoka looks at him like with disgust. Yeah. And that just seemed like such a non-Jedi moment of like, you're supposed to be, a, first of all, trying to heal these people if you can, but if not, certainly having compassion, not like, ugh, that's disgusting. Gross, poor people, yeah. No, it's disgust for the system that has led to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, never mind. And like, it's just, she's so out of touch. Like, they they have they have a lead in the criminal underworld and of like, yeah, I sold it to this gangster. Or like, she goes to, no, the first thing they do is she goes to like, they go random, to a restaurant. Yeah, like random a da- shop A and is like, hello, I'm looking to buy a lightsaber, please. And like, the guy is like, yeah, come on back. I can tell you about <laughs> it. Sure. Which is just like, okay. Um, and then like she she plays her hand really quickly and is like, that's my lightsaber. I'm a Jedi. Give me my lightsaber back. And the two criminals are just like, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, we'll tell you where to go to find it. Go find your lightsaber, bye. Which just seems so backward and just like weird. Like, why wouldn't they just tell her, like, screw off, Jedi? <laughs> right? Like, you're a Jedi, yeah. we're not talking to you. No, I, I think that makes sense. I think it speaks to how, I don't know if it's respect is the right word, feared the Jedi are. But they didn't even seem afraid of her. They were just kind of like, oh, you're a Jedi? Okay, we'll tell you. I don't know. It was so weird. It was super weird. I was fully expecting, like... So, um, Sinube is, like, standing behind her the whole time, just, like, smugging it up. Right. And doesn't jump in and be like, listen, Ahsoka, we need to play this cool and, like, try and, like, slowly get this information out of them. He's just, like, hanging out. He's just like, you should tell us where it is. Yeah. For real. Ugh. All right. Oh! Oh! And there's another part? Sorry. No, go for it. Where... This is near the end of the episode. Uh, the one of the the girls who had helped kill the gangster boyfriend, who has Ahsoka's lightsaber, has kidnapped two people on a train and is holding them hostage. Uh-huh. Uh, and Ahsoka is like, "Okay, I'll make you a deal. I'm like way more valuable. We'll just switch. I'll be the hostage. You let those two people go." And the criminal lady, who looks like Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, is like, no, if I do that, you'll just do use some Jedi mind trick on me. Which is like, why isn't Ahsoka just using a Jedi mind trick on her right now? Like, so I, I think we've talked about this before and how it's true in a lot of shows, Star Trek especially, but that one of the problems with giving your main characters like very good powers, either of technology or magic or whatever, is that you have to figure out ways to turn off those powers so that the plot can happen. Because a lot of times mm-hmm. it would just be too easy. Um, you know, and that's why in Star Trek, there's always some dilithium mumbo jumbo thing breaking that, you know, means they can't deal that they create the plot situation they want to create. Yeah. Or like, and I just feel like Star Wars Trey doesn't even can't. Star Wars doesn't even bother to do that. No. They just sort of forget that their people have the power to do these things all the time. And like, honestly, I had forgotten. I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, she's taken hostages. Ahsoka, why don't you Jedi mind trick her until they like explicitly point out. The Jedi mind trick is a thing. And I'm just like, well, right. yeah. Why don't you just do that right now? Yeah, uh, she's she's one of, like, the many races that you can't do that to. 
Because that's that's also that also just comes up. Yeah, right? and that's the thing. That's a Star right. Trek thing too, right? Like, oh, this is one of the races that Troy can't read the emotions of. Yeah, but when it's convenient, one of the planets that the transporter can't work on when we want yeah. our heroes caught. Well, anyway, this was yeah. a big problem with the X Files, because the oh. X Files started like right around when cell phones became a thing. So they always had to have like, oh no, like Scully's cell phone is like out of range or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. no, I can't get a hold of her. Oh, that's well, that's, I mean, that's just like the modern, every modern like horror movie now has to find a way to, how do you get rid of a cell phone? <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause the idea of being like isolated the way that the average horror movie is that, you know, the phone lines are cut off. Doesn't make any sense in the cell phone world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, and it's funny because I sometimes will have this thing where I'll go back and watch like I I love eighties movies, uh, you know, especially like the teen rom coms and and um, the John Waters movies and stuff like that, um, Molly Ringwald and the Brat Pack and all them, um, but it's funny because every now and then I'll watch one and be like, wait, why don't they just co-? right no cell phones like <laughs> the, there's so many movies where like the entire plot is based on a miscommunication that like one text message could have solved and erased the entire movie. Yeah, well, even, like, with Stranger Things, right? Like, the choice of setting that in the 80s, I think, was in a way to get around, like, yeah, the kids could just text each other and then this problem is solved a lot faster. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Anyway, so, yeah, the, these three episodes, I think, is kind of really emblematic of what we get in the, um, the early seasons of Clone Wars because we have one, I think, really brilliant, well-played episode that, that still has one or two plot points of... of you know, where these kids come from, but still a very good episode. One just ridiculously dumb episode. And then one episode that has a lot of problems and, and introduces some interesting story beats, but also just doesn't do very well. Um, you know, and I'm, I, I'm glad we're going through these together because we can talk about the things that I really like and the things that I think are really worth talking about. And that I think really, to me, episodes like The Deserter really flesh out the whole Star Wars story in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. And then we can also talk about the really dumb episodes like The Grievous Intrigue. Oh my God. And Which think, we just didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say to anyone who came here like looking oh, for <laughs> information about that episode, there was a lot of lightsaber fighting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's That's a lot of lightsaber That's pretty light- much all the episode was. Yeah. Lightsaber we- fighting, some kids being traumatized. Which, which yeah. again, kind of, um, I think that at some point they, they make the point that you have to be force sensitive to really truly understand how a lightsaber works, which doesn't make General Grievous make any sense whatsoever. Um, what? But... but then it also doesn't make any sense in lightsaber lost because everybody who's grabbed Ahsoka's lightsaber is just like turning it on and like cutting their hands off. Yeah, I mean I think you can use it, but to be like actually a skilled fighter. Good at it. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean like Han Solo can can cut open a tauntaun with it. So yeah. um... <laughs> I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Any uh, last comments before we wrap up? Um, okay. One about the deserter. I mm-hmm. enjoyed Grievous's go-go gadget arm. Yes, that was a fun little moment. Grievous just like in general is terrifying yet delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it's well put. I I enjoy every moment where he gets on all fours, sixes, yeah. sixes. and, and does, does like his crawl. yeah. I feel like does you can make a lot of walk. with Grievous and uh, well, as I've done with Cookie Monster, but also with Inspector Gadget. Right? They have this like. <laughs> They've been replaced with machinery. Yeah, I like both of those connections. Uh, yeah. yeah, all right. Cool. And, and, yeah, and, and let me actually ask you this. In the comics, um, I, I'm very interested in how we get to the technology that makes Darth Vader Darth Vader. 
Is there um, in the comics any indication that part of the creation of General Grievous is about testing out this capacity to take a very badly injured person and sort of rebuild them as a you know six million dollar man, half human, half cyborg, or half person, half cyborg kind of thing that eventually leads to the Darth Vader tech? Or is that connection never made in the comics? They're very different, though. Yeah, but the the general concept. Grievous is similar. Grievous is literally just like a brain and a heart. Mm. Like right. Biological components. But but you can see that I mean that that can be part of the thing is like like I could even imagine it being a story where like it was like okay so we we tried that with this part of Grievous it didn't work we're now using something fairly different oh hey Vader we still have most of his body um mm-hmm. if yeah. not some limbs you know can we do it differently there? Well, and, uh, so the Grievous uh, was originally not force sensitive, right? So. I would think you would have to have some kind of limit on how much you could replace right. a living living being before they lose the connection to the force. Yeah, I don't know. Wait, I, Grievous wasn't force sensitive when no. he was Grievous, but now he is. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's just. But then, why is he using lightsabers? That, that was my he, whole point. because <laughs> ah! he has like robot reflexes. I see. Right, which then makes you wonder why I don't just, you know make all the droids able to be really good with the the light sword things they fight with but there you go um no and, and you're right because also i'm remembering that um the reason why vader anakin dies at the end of of jedi is that that apparently that his connection to palpatine palpatine um uh who who is not killed who is not killed at the battle of yavin uh apparently i've been saying that wrong so i will um, be more pro- appropriate I told, I told you it's not wrong because like who it's a fictional it, it's, it's just a new york accent um yeah but i did at some point i think i'd said yavin 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 it, it becomes yawin in my head that i just started thinking it was yawin but anyway the point being like yeah i think i think it's supposed to be some kind of forced connection between palpatine and vader that is helping to keep him alive in the cybernetic of it all mm. um well yeah. it, it, it may be it may be two totally different things that would make sense too in Legends, the Emperor Palpatine is basically holding the entire Imperial Navy together. Right. To yeah, the Force. His, his death is why the rest of the fleet gets wiped out soon after. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Zahn does a great job of that. Um, all right. Anyway, so we will uh, uh, keep keep discussing all this, keep diving into Legends canon, keep diving into all the other stuff. Um, fans, what, what what is your take? Um, especially the Deserter, we'd love to like, kind of hear your thoughts on, on how this episode made you think about the clones and, and the clones' role in the war and the Jedi's role in the war. Um, we, we talked at the beginning about um, Black Lives Matter and this current moment in history and how it connects to Star Wars. We'd again love to hear your thoughts there. Um, we'll say that, um, we'll ask that, you know, that this is uh, obviously a, 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 an area where we're trying to be very, um, uh, just don't be a racist dick. That's the easiest thing I'm <laughs> yeah. going to say. I'm going to try and Good say it. Just like you, you know, all comments are welcome, but you know, racism, you know, please, please be careful of that. I, I want to hear people's thoughts on grievous intrigue. Yes, like if you yes. are a fan of this episode, we certainly did not do it justice. Tell, tell us your thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely down with that. Tell us about that. Tell us about lightsaber lost. Tell us about how uh, actually like Ahsoka and and Sunube could be a great team, and we should get rid of Anakin or whatever yes. your thoughts are. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and email. Uh, all the links to that are in the show notes. Um, please also remember that Star Wars Universe podcast is a part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. There's a lot of great other podcasts out there. If you like the way we deep dive into Star Wars, um, you can do you can find podcasts that do similar deep dives into 
everything from um, the Marvel Universe to the DC Universe to the Star Trek Universe to the Orville Universe, if that's your bag. Um, uh, the Bingers Assemble, which t uh, talked about um, Altered Carbon and also talked about the X-Men movies. Any kind of fandom that you're part of, we've probably got uh, some way for you to listen to people talking with uh, way too much self-importance and at way too much time about it. Because that's what we do, and that's fun. Um, so I'm having myself, um, uh, Ricky and Sarah, thank you guys all so much. Uh, thank you to our fans for listening. Have a great day.